Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. So glad that you joined me this week. You're going to be glad that you did because we're talking about a topic that I think is probably on a lot of our minds. If you're a person that's currently going to church, um, I'm sure we all have our stories about what church looked like the last two years, two and a half years, um, COVID, say no more, right? Uh, Well, today I'm going to be talking with Nancy Beach and her daughter, Samantha Beach Kylie, about their book, Next Sunday, An Honest Dialogue About the Future of the Church. I kind of just want them to do a brain dump right here for all of our sakes. So, But we're going to have a conversation today about their thoughts on this because they both have been invested in the church for many years. Um, Nancy Beach serves as a leadership coach with the Slingshot Group and uh, In so doing, she helps church leaders and teams flourish in life and ministry. She also teaches at conferences and workshops. Uh, Maybe some of you have happened to catch her in one of those settings, and she's on the teaching team at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago. Um, Some of you may be familiar with her book, An Hour on Sunday, Creating Moments of Transformation and Wonder. Um, I remember when that book came out, and uh, a marvelous book. I don't know if we'll even touch on that or make mention of that today or not. But anyway, that's Nancy. So let me do a quick uh, intro of Samantha Beach Kylie. Um, Or maybe I'll let her do her intro because in on paper, it says she's an Austin based writer and performer, uh, etc, etc. And she just told me, oops, we're moving in a couple of days. So (laughs) first of all, welcome to Nancy and Samantha. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, good to have you. So Samantha, give us the thumbnail sketch from you. Yeah. So my background's in theater and um, I came at this book primarily from the perspective of uh, having grown up in the mega church movement. And then during the writing of the book, found myself stepping into ministry roles and am now um, going to be joining a church in Raleigh, North Carolina in an associate pastor capacity that's all about the arts. So it's kind of using my background in storytelling and stuff like that, but I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, this is maybe a little an aside, but I have to tell you a year ago, I had an unexpected traumatic brain injury at a skull fracture and many other oh, things, but I'm recovered, but, um, arts, um, I pulled out all my art. I had wondered why in our move mm. from Chicago, I brought all these bins it was maybe the only fight my husband and I have ever had. No, leave the bins. We have no room. No, we have to take the bins. Mm. I didn't touch them for five years. And then this injury happened and I pulled it all out. And I'm just, wow. even in hearing you say what you're doing and who you are and what is at the core of you, um, art has been um, healing in my life. Mm. Uh, mm. So I just thought I'll, I would toss that in. Um, yes. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm sure you have seen that to be true in many people on many different levels, right? 
Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it can be such a pathway to experiencing God in new ways um, that the church sometimes doesn't tap into as fully as it could. Totally with you, like big exclamation points there. <laughs> well, let's get back to next Sunday, an honest dialogue about the future of the church. Um, I want to know, well, first of all, I love the format. I love how you go back and forth in the book. We hear both of your voices all throughout the book. But how, how did this book come to be? How and why? And maybe, Nancy, well, I realize I've got two of you, so I need to, to maybe ask yeah, each of you specifically. So let's okay. start with you, Nancy. Well, in uh, the fall of 2019, I was asked to speak to a group of Christian publishers, uh, and they assigned me a topic, which was the future of the church. And I thought that was... Ooh a daunting challenge and who knows, you know, kind of thing. This was pre-COVID, but still it, it's a crazy thing to contemplate. Um, so I worked on that. And afterwards, um, a few of them asked, would you ever want to write about this? And I've always been sort of what I call a reluctant writer. I'm not the kind of person who just can't wait to write the next book. So it had been a long time for me. And I was discussing it with Samantha and she said, well, what if we did something together? And that opened up a doorway for me that um, got me excited. And uh, we decided to pursue that possibility. Um, our family is a family who has always debriefed everything. And we talk about this in the introduction. We, um, the girls were athletes. We talk about sports. They were in theater. We talk about that. But we also talked a lot about church because I worked full time at a church and uh, especially after major events, we would sit around the kitchen after a Christmas service or Easter and talk about what moments might've happened in there, what worked, what we didn't think worked, yeah. who connected, who didn't, all that kind of stuff. So the book is really birthed out of that energy. And I loved when I read that about the debrief climate or culture of your family, because I grew up <laughs> in ministry. My dad was a pastor. Um, I don't remember doing that as much when I was young, but certainly in my adult life and being married to a, a former pastor now, um, it's, yes, it's kind of what you do. Um, what what yeah. was it like for you, Samantha, that debrief um, time? Did you enjoy that? Did you like mm, that? You know, it, oh, I did. I did. But I think what was most important about it was that we weren't always just critiquing things we weren't a part of. Like we, we took turns being in the hot seat because we debriefed basketball games I played in or plays that my sister was a part of or services that my mom produced. And I think, I hope that that's part of the spirit of our book too, that, that um, we're critiquing something that we too are part of and we too have helped to shape and that we can be part of making better. We're not just throwing stones from yes. the outside, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I love that. I appreciate that point too. And I didn't mention this at the outset, but Nancy, you were for years, I can't put a number on it. Maybe if you want to, you can, but you were for many years at Willow Creek Community Church uh, in the Chicagoland right. area. People certainly know that name. And Samantha, you really grew up there, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, I enjoyed reading um, your chapter about train up a child in the way she should go. She will never forget the hand motions as you talked about <laughs> promised land. And I, I, you know, I thought yes. that that was great. Um, how did you decide? I mean, in a, in a book, which, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like it's a little bit memoir and, and yet a lot 
pointing us having this honest dialogue about the future of the church. But is it, there's a little piece that's memoir-ish, right? Yes, I think it's because we're both storytellers and we don't know how to write anything without, you know, telling stories. Um, and we attach our own personal experience to some of the principles that, that we're exploring. And we basically landed on seven distinctives that we think are important for the church going forward. It'd be interesting conversation. I'm sure other people would have a different list and, and maybe prioritize it differently. Um, but these are the seven that we came up with. And then we each wrote a chapter on each of the seven distinctives. How, how hard was it to come up with this list? How many, how many distinctives got tossed out? You know, how many did you have initially, Samantha? What was, what was that process? Yeah. You know, it wasn't too hard because I think, you know, my mom and I also have particular skill sets that mean that certain facets of the church are really important to us. And so certain, certain aspects of the church will be important to other people based on how they're wired. So it wasn't actually that difficult. I think some of the harder conversations we had, like we have one chapter, chapter six is on the church's history of exclusion and oppression. It's called the mess we've made. Okay. And we kind of found our, I thought that could have been three chapters. You know, we kind of found ourselves going, how do, can we lump all of this into one? Can we responsibly talk about some of these huge things like racism or the LGBTQ question in the same chapter. And um, so the book really is a survey. It is each of these chapters could be whole books and many books have been written about them. And we, we hope it's a launching point and it yes. is not at all the final word. It is such a light touch on some really deep issues. Yeah. Uh, I texted my uh, associate pastor today, who's a really good friend and told her, uh, I, I took a picture of the cover, I go, yeah, you, you need to read this. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, because I, and I agree, I think it's a great launching point. And I, but I think a lot of churches, Nancy, maybe you can speak to this, even with um, all of the things, and we'll talk about some of the specifics here that you talk about. Um, and, and with COVID too, in our not quite rearview mirror, but you know what I'm, mm -hmm. when I say that, mm -hmm. um, still mm -hmm. aren't really talking about or having an honest dialogue about the future of the church when there have been some big things that have happened in the last, let's just say three years. Um, yes. what, what's, what's keeping you from it? Yeah. Well, um, you know, during the pandemic, people talked, we all got sick of the same phrases, like we're reinventing or we're pivoting or we're finding a new normal and all, all these phrases, right. but that was reality. People had, you know, there were a lot of churches, especially smaller churches that didn't even have video capacity. They didn't even know where to start and they're supposed to stream their services all of a sudden, you know, so, so all of that was certainly um, creating a need, a catalyst for change. However, uh, some churches, as they have started gathering again, have said, you know what, this is a rare opportunity. Maybe we should rethink some things. Should we assume that we should start everything the same way we did before? Or should we revisit some of that and take this opportunity to maybe say, let's ask some hard questions about some of the things. So, so I'm encouraged by some churches that are doing that. Others have just said, let's just go back to what we were doing. And they aren't really taking advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Um, Samantha, I want to know what, um, what of the seven chapters there was total agreement on what, which, mm. uh, and I don't know if, if you struggled with the order, but I think it would be helpful for people to know what you address in the book, but what were those 
topics um, or distinctives that the two of you were on board together uh, about wholeheartedly? So the seven distinctives we address are uh, creating genuine community, um, being kid-centric, having an external missional focus, um, this, the Sunday gathering itself and the creativity that's possible there, um, men and women leading well together, the one I mentioned about um, the mess we've made, and then having a healthy culture behind the scenes. Um, I would say my mom and I both have an incredible bias towards the three-dimensional hour on Sunday. She's already written a book about it. We're, we are both artists and people who believe in what happens when, when people gather in a room with their physical bodies and what's possible when we come together in those moments. That, so we agreed in that, on that a lot. I think that was a chapter we were both really excited to write. And then COVID happened and we had called the chapter, you had to be there. And we had to seriously ask ourselves, do we still believe that? And, um, and so that was a chapter that I think we went in with total alignment on that um, our thinking started to shift on as COVID unfolded in different ways. Yeah, uh, rebuttal, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was laughing with someone recently that if they were looking for a book, because it is two different generations, obviously I'm a baby boomer and Samantha's a millennial. Um, but if they're looking for a book that's like point counterpoint and we're, you know, at each other and totally disagreeing about a lot of things that didn't happen, which really didn't surprise me. Um, Smith and I have, have been aligned with a lot of things um, over the years. However, I think that she brings a lens or a perspective, especially through her friends who have nothing to do with church and many of them are artists and they're you know, not really walking with God or anything. Um, she brings a lens that is so vital right now because obviously the younger generations we all know are abandoning the church in huge numbers. Um, those that ever went in the first place and some never did. Um, and the group of nuns as it's called N-O-N-E-S um, who have no affiliation is growing every year. So I think we really need to listen and pay attention to the younger generation and I hope that I have a spirit of humility in the book of saying, um, this is kind of what I think, but what do you think? Because really you're the future of the church, our, our young people. This, maybe this is anecdotal, but I'd like your thought on this, Nancy, or both of you, but um, especially Nancy, because I think um, what you just said of the younger generation, either leaving or never having started at the church. I feel like there are a lot of lifelong church boomers who are also opting out now. Uh, do you, yes. is that, that's not that's just my perception. perception. No, it's not. And I think there's a lot of different reasons. Um, first of all, you are not unfamiliar as I am not with church pain. And sadly, a lot of people, a huge number of people have experienced some form of church pain, whether that's right. disappointment in leaders who have had a moral failure or a financial failure, or um, whether they've been um, excluded for some reason. Um, there's just a lot of pain out there. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And then to be totally honest, we are a consumer type culture. And uh, I don't want to slam my husband here, but, you know, he's gotten pretty comfortable sitting at home on Sunday morning, watching in his pajamas, whatever church he chooses. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of us. We, we sort of uh, pick and choose what teacher do I want to hear from literally all around the world or what worship do I want to 
check in on. And we've become um, very passive and not really engaged in showing up at a community um, and with our whole selves. And Samantha and I believe strongly that there's a longing for community, but there's a price to be paid to find community. You have to, you have to show up with your feet and your heart and your mind. And so I agree with you so much. I, I'm seeing so many people my age, empty nesters, who are, who are saying, I, I'm not giving up on God. I love God and I want to grow spiritually, but I am pretty much checking out a church. So t- two things. One, you know, you mentioned the pain and I really appreciate that you do touch on this. It's not the thrust of your book, certainly, but with your experience at Willow Creek, you do touch on this in the book. Um, thank you for that. And then secondly, what was, oh, secondly, I wondered this about COVID. Um, how strong was that community to begin with? If people didn't want to mm-hmm. come back, that's what mm-hmm. I wondered. I don't know if either yeah. of you have thoughts on that. That's a great question. Maybe it's Good just, question. yeah, I know. I wish I had more answers there <laughs> with that. And, mm-hmm. but I think that's, uh, that might be a piece of people's experience too. It's a little harder for me to answer. Yeah. And my husband only having been in our current location in Sarasota five years. So that community is probably not as not, well, not probably not nearly as deep as our community in Chicago was for a, you know, mm-hmm. 18 mm-hmm. to 20 year time frame. Um, what's an, what's a, a, a favorite. So you talked about, um, you know, concerning the hour on Sunday, you two definitely agreed on that. I would like to also hear a favorite um, chapter from each of you or one that you specifically lobbied for that the other one said, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, hmm. well, I think that I, I don't think I had to drag or like twist my mom's arm to write about, um, chapter six, but I just think that was one and it's not, a, it wasn't a favorite one to write because it's honestly very depressing to look at yeah. the, the damage that the church has, has wrecked. But I think, um, I think we both challenged each other in addressing some of those issues and really thinking deeply about them. And, and I think we just sharpened each other's thinking, even though each other's thinking wasn't all that different than our own. And honestly, that was, that was a really neat thing to discover. Like, I, I think I probably did have this conception going in, like I'm the younger voice and I'm going to, you know, I care about these social issues and my, to see, and I think some of my friends share that perception and it's so neat to see how my mom is still learning at her age and, and, and is um, demonstrating, as she said, she hoped she was, and I believe she is tremendous humility around some of these things that we're just learning more about culturally as we listen to people that have been marginalized. So anyway, that was just a meaningful experience, I think, to work on that chapter together. And I don't think we tell enough stories in our culture of people's minds being changed. Mm. And so um, it was neat to, to work on that together. So I'm laughing a little bit. My son is 29 and a millennial and he'll often say something about at your age, mom, like I'm, you know, one foot from the grave. <laughs> I know, isn't that great? <laughs> I know. When you said at her age, you didn't see me, but I burst out laughing quietly. Yes. yes. <laughs> We're used to that. Uh, yes. But uh, so I want to go back to that though, the mess we've made. Uh, um, so we, you know, s- 
if we've been engaged with the church, um, especially in the evangelical church, I guess we've been engaged there. We know some of the mess that we've made. What can we do better? How do, how are we, how can we be more inclusive? How, how do we welcome better? How, you know, um, I, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that, either of you. Well, I think the, um, it begins with a few statements that, um, for whatever reason, the church has found hard to make. Um, one is, I'm sorry, which is, which is a lament, a sign of lament. And Sam has really opened up my eyes to this idea that we can't really move forward. People who have been hurt and excluded are waiting for the church to say, we own this, whether it was us directly or indirectly, um, the church has been hurtful historically. And so we're sorry and we're deeply sorry and we wanna make it right in, in somehow if there's any way we can um, make it right. So that's a big sentence that I, two words that I wish we'd say more often. Another one is I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is where huh. I've stepped in, you know, yeah, it's like there's, there's so much division right now and everybody's holding on so tightly to the need to be right. And one of the things I wake up in the morning thinking sometimes is God, let, help me let go of the need to be right, to, to prove myself, whether it's just in a conversation with my husband or on some of these issues. And I do want to add that um, we've made it really clear that we, we come from a limited perspective. We're two white women, um, straight women who mostly lived in the suburbs. Um, and here we are talking about racism we decided to narrow down chapter six to two areas of exclusion. Primarily, there's so many we could have chosen, but we focused on racism and the LGBTQ community. And those are places where a lot of I'm sorry's need to be happening and a host of I could be wrongs. Um, you know, as we, as we learn how to listen, I think we've just lost the art of listening and, and being quiet and saying, tell me, tell me more about your experience and tell me how you see this and let me um, see if anything ricochets around in my soul that says, oh, I, I never saw it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Samantha? No, that was very well said. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> it's always nice to have you know, two people. Like, nah, no, that, that was it. Yeah. She said it all. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really appreciated and have been thinking about and to already talking to a couple of people about, um, is chapter three, um, Monday through Saturday, having an external focus. I found this really interesting. Maybe this is, I'm sure this is not new information, but I would love for you to talk about um, a conference you were at at some point in time and, um, and hearing about these, these sequences, or maybe it's the way that, that church has changed or the way we enter into community has changed. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, Nancy. I'll start with you. Sure. Um, there's a pastor from Baltimore that I heard speak, Ben Kacharis is his name. And he said, um, in some ways, this uh, pathway to faith, which we all thought went in a certain order, or at least boomers, you know, we're very linear thinkers. And at Willow Creek, we used to say there's a seven step 
process, you know, and it starts with someone having a friendship with a Christian. And then there was all of this. And we kind of thought everyone goes from A to B to C to D and that's how it works. And uh, maybe it did for some, but now um, rather than starting sometimes with a relationship with a Christian or with going to church, showing up at church, which used to be some of the early steps uh, what Ben says, and I couldn't agree more, is that for many people, he calls it serving is the new apologetic, meaning they get invited into an experience where they get to um, serve and make a difference in some way with the under-resourced. And maybe they're in connection. They don't, maybe they might not even know it's a church that's doing this, but that may be the first step for people because especially the younger generation, I think, care so much about this question, is the church having any impact at all on the lives of people in the community? Um, so Samantha had a, a distinct experience with this um, at our church in Chicago at Soul City Church. Sam, why don't you mention that? Because I think it yeah. really illustrates it. Yeah, I um, had a group of friends, primarily from the theater community that I had invited to church a few times, especially when I was performing or doing something to no avail. They didn't want to be part of it. And um, I respected that. And then one Sunday morning, uh, our church had decided to not do normal services and we were going to go out and serve in the city in a variety of ways. And I was signed up to serve at a homeless shelter. And I got a text from the group leader that morning that we were down a few volunteers and could anyone bring someone with. And so I texted that same group of about seven people that very morning saying, hey, we're going to this, we need more people. And an hour later, all seven of them showed up at the homeless shelter. And we all served together. And um, it was such a stark um, way for me to understand that that was an easier invitation than, ask, than asking them to come to a church building on a Sunday morning. And it made me realize that that is a, sometimes can be a better front door for, um, for folks in my generation. Yeah, I appreciate that. I thought that was so interesting that, and I don't know what the time frame, you know, I don't know if there are years on this, but the, the, the sequences that occurred, um, you know, Christ community cause, community Christ cause, cause community Christ. I just thought, oh yeah, I'm what we're watching it. It's just, you're sort of watching mm -hmm. it happen. And also I think, um, you know, over, overlaying on top of it, things like uh, Phyllis Tickle talking about the great, uh, what is it, every 500 years? Is that right? Yeah. Or is it 50? Mm. The zero does matter. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, how many years? It's 500, I'm sure. Um, the shift in the church and that we're in one of those cycles now, and I think we're watching it. I mean, their shift is afoot, yeah. but what, where will the dust settle? we're in the middle of that. I, I find myself, I, I don't like to admit this. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Nancy, on this. Um, sometimes I'll say to my husband, oh, I'm really glad I'm the age that I am. And not oh Samantha's gosh. age or my son's age. I, I do think about that. And then I feel horrible for feeling that way. I mean, have you ever thought that or said that? Uh, Nancy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I raised uh, with my husband two daughters before um, uh, they had cell phones, maybe in eighth grade, but there wasn't social media, you know, and, and I've thought so many times that I'm grateful I didn't have to parent through that. And now that I have a granddaughter, 
and I'm, you know, contemplating yes. uh, her future, you know, it's, it's just very sobering. I think it's a very hard time um, mm-hmm. to parent and to parent well, and to help form these little, these little hearts and souls um, in a healthy way. So I, I couldn't agree more. And then also just practically during COVID when parents had to school their children at home oh. and try to do their jobs at the same time. I can't tell you how many times I said to my husband, I'm so glad I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah. Samantha was saying, I'm glad my child hasn't been born yet when COVID started, you know, oh, you weren't, right. you weren't having we waited a little school. longer than we were planning to. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, when that I, mean, happened. I think but, so. I think those parents are rock stars that survived COVID, to, you know, homeschooling. But if I could add, I think that there is a profound opportunity for the church right now because of what's going on. And I think, I think for folks in my generation being raised with the internet and therefore exposed to far more injustice than I think the average human person was used to taking in because you were just dealing with your community. Now we're um, carrying the grief of the entire world every time we open up our phone. And I think that that has definitely taken a toll and it's helped us start to listen to these voices that we haven't listened to in the past, we, the church, and um, start to put them a little more center. And it's launched this reckoning that's happening in many different places around Me Too, Black Lives Matter, all these things that haven't left any institution really untouched. And I think that people my age are longing for, we also recognize that work needs to happen in our own hearts. Those of us who've been privileged enough to not be impacted by these things. And so um, there's a quote, there's a quote that I have in the book from this writer Gia Tolentino that I think captures it perfectly that we grew up exposed to more and more, the internet exposed us to more and more injustice while our capacity to do anything about it stayed the same Mm. or she says possibly shrink. And so I just think the church can be, if it becomes a school of love again and a place of transformation, it's a place that we all want to find ourselves, I think. I I periodically say this on the podcast. This is one of those moments I want to hit the pause button. Just Mm -hmm. take that in. Think about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Excuse me while I go talk to a couple of friends and now come back, but can't do that. So we'll, we'll carry on. But I think that's, those are the kind of things, right? That we that we have to realize here and sit with and go, wow. Um, and, and then make a choice. How do we live? Because that's not really a way, a sustainable way to live, mm-hmm. um, to continuing to, to take, <laughs> you know, be hit yeah, by right. this, by this wall of water or the avalanche or pick the right, pick the metaphor. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, it's not sustainable. I think that's why I was actually, I was just so exhausted when I finished my old job um, where it was a daily, you know, I can do a weekly podcast conversation, but it was daily and paying attention to the news. I think of people in the news today, like all Mm -hmm. they're taking in, trying to sift through and then bring something to the public. Like, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, It's just absolutely too much. Um, I would love, uh, Nancy, to turn this to you. Uh, there's a chapter in the book um, talking about men and women leading well together. Uh, that's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a hot button of mine. Um, I came up in a very complementarian um, scenario, um, 
switched certainly to an egalitarian model. I could never go back. Um, it's just really something that it's like really I have strong opinions mm -hmm. about. And I do believe men and women can work well together despite some of the struggles and issues that we are have heard about over the past few years and abuses of power, et cetera. Talk, talk to us about the importance of men and women leading well together. Well, I'm grateful that I had an experience on my own team within the church, which was the worship arts ministry of the church, um, where a team of men and women, the nucleus of that team served together for about 20 years and wow. brothers and sisters who are still like family um, to one another, um, even though we're not all working together anymore. Yeah. And because I had the taste of it, I, I just want to stand on a mountaintop and say to church leaders, we can do this. I know yes. we can do this. Um, it, the recent uh, seems like avalanche of moral failures that we hear about tempt us um, to, I talk about swinging a pendulum so far in the direction of saying, well, that's what happens when men and women lead together. So we can't risk that. So therefore we're going to have 20 more rules about how you can't be in an elevator with member of the opposite sex or in a car or in a meeting, which makes it extremely difficult, by the way, for a woman to lead um, if, if you erect all those rules. Um, but they don't work. I mean, we, we can find churches with the most strict of rules where people know they can find ways, sin finds a way to get around rules. And I believe the path forward is spiritual formation. I believe it's having Christ so formed in us that it becomes unthinkable to treat another person as a sexual object or to risk your own marriage if you happen to be married or that other person's mm -hmm. uh, marriage. And where uh, Scott McKnight talks a lot in one of his recent books about the term in the New Testament of brothers and sisters was a really big deal. There's a lot of weight to that term. And if we treated one another truly as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, it would be such a beautiful thing. So whether your church is more egalitarian or complementarian, we can do so much better, so much better. And we can stop uh, squishing the giftedness of women who have an enormous amount to bring to the kingdom. And many of them instead, you know, kind of volunteer in some little way in their church and use all of their gifts in the marketplace or the academic world or the arts which is great, but we need them in the church as well. And it, it's a tragedy that so many young girls grow up with no picture of what it would look like to actually lead, to be one of the people at the table making strategic decisions yes. about a church. So I couldn't be more thrilled that my daughter is about to become an associate pastor at a church that totally affirms the gifts of women. And she is going to get to flourish oh. in that place. Oh. And, and do sermons yes. and lead people. And that's how it should be. I'm so excited for her. Oh, I love that emotion. Totally feel that. <laughs> and, and yes, you know, shouting from the roof, rooftops. Yes. Um, I, I didn't mention at the outset, but, but a, a book that I loved that you wrote was called Gifted to Lead. Um, Nancy, uh, I remember when it came out, I might have even talked with you on midday connection, but probably had to mute things a little bit. I don't know. I don't remember, <laughs> but, um, but I so appreciated that. 
And, um, and I, I also wanted to say that last week on the podcast, I had Trevor Hudson on, which was, and, and that focus was solely on spiritual formation because you, you pointed to that in this conversation mm -hmm. and I can't high five you enough on that. I think that's a significant piece of this. How are we mm -hmm. being spiritually formed? What that's got to be a bigger, deeper conversation in the church in which, and be, and if it is, there are many other things that will fall into place. Yes. Right. Yes. That's why we need you and your husband and other spiritual directors and people who pay attention to the soul. That's, that's what we need. Oh, it's big. Oh my goodness. I, I, we have to talk about before we finish our conversation, your final chapter. And, and let me say again, folks, the book is called next Sunday, an honest dialogue about the future of the church. And it, it uh, as Nancy and Samantha said at the outset, I mean, you can't cover everything, but boy, it is a good jumping off point for some substantive conversations that you can have um, about you know, what, what is the future of the, the church and your church and, uh, you know, all kinds of um, food for thought in here to start you on your way, thinking more about this, but we have to talk about uh, chapter seven behind the curtain, creating a healthy culture. And I've not gotten that far in the book personally, I can say that right now. So, so I don't know if you're talking about a healthy culture in the congregation with the staff or with, or, or the whole enchilada. So I would love to have, to hear from both of you on this and, and what we need to, to be talking about when it, when we think about a, a, a creating a healthy culture and maybe Samantha, let's start with you. Well, I think my mom's definition of culture is what it feels like to be there. So that's both as a congregant, as a staff member um, and as a leader. And I fear that because churches are trying to have a presence online, we're putting a lot more attention on our brand than our culture. And so we care a little bit more about what we look like, what we sound like, but what really matters at the end of the day is what it feels like. And we're talking about in the chapter about relational health and this caring for the state of our souls as we were just discussing. Um, and that's hard work. And I think that, um, the, the key thing here is that it's not that we present, um, we're not going to get it perfect. Church is a tough setup because we're talking about all these ideals and virtues we aspire to from the front that Jesus calls us to become, and none of us are, are perfectly evolved. And so um, there's going to be rupture, but what does it look like to model a culture of repair, of truth-telling, vulnerability, um, accountability? Those are the kinds of things we're wondering about. Even as you said that, um, what sparked in my mind was John Gottman and talking about, you know, when you've had a rift in a relationship and a marriage say, you know, what, what do repair attempts look like? And sometimes it's just the, even just the attempt, the repair attempt yes. that actually <laughs> brings mm -hmm. things back together. And, you know, I love that, that thought, um, Nancy, I'll let you continue, uh, talking about this. Well, you know, um, it doesn't matter the size of the church, um, but we have a problem in the evangelical church with this sort of celebrity culture that, that has been created. And this can happen in a church of a hundred people or less as well, but we, we sort of uh, 
allow the leaders up front, whether it be the pastor or the worship leader or whoever, to, to be sort of um, other than. And, uh, you know, this is extremely unhealthy. And what I write about is that what I've learned is that before I just point a whole bunch of fingers, I have to realize that the people who surround that celebrity pastor, they contribute in some ways. Um, they're complicit in some ways into the enabling of this uh, to happen, largely because they benefit in some way from the refracted light of that leader. So instead of just pointing the finger at my former pastor, which I'm certainly capable of doing, I'm trying to also have the energy and the humility to say, what part did I play in allowing this to be perpetuated? And why didn't I try harder to speak truth and to say, you know what, this is wrong. Um, We've got to do better. We've got to be better. And so I think that's why we called it behind the curtain, because like in the Wizard of Oz, you know, you see the little guy behind the curtain. (laughs) And one of the things that I've said for a long time that matters to me in a church is that the closer you get to the center of leadership, Mm -hmm. the more love you would find, the more like Jesus it would be, rather than thinking, oh, I'm scared to know what's going on up at the top. You know, because because now we're so skeptical. We're thinking, I'm sure there's trouble in River City. You know, we don't we don't even want to know. Instead, to say, you know, what I'm uncovering. No, these people aren't perfect for sure, as Sam said, but they are on a journey to be more like Jesus, and it, it gets sweeter and more filled with goodness the closer I get to the center, and that that would be the goal. Oh, I love that. Um, and you're right. That is the goal. That is the hope. The prayer. Um, yeah you know, we, we want to want to wake up without those feelings of, I'm afraid to know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. What, just each of you say a word about what your hope is, you know, someone picks up next Sunday, what's your hope for this book and that someone reads? Samantha? I hope that, yeah, I mean, it is, the book is the dialogue. And so we hope that it will spark you to have your own. And like we said, these are the seven distinctives we came up with and you may have a different list. And we hope that, um, we hope it'll be a reminder that church is what we all help build it to be. No church has quite enough staff to do everything we're trying to do. A church is always, is always what the community makes it. And so if there is a conversation you think your church should be having, or ministry you think they should be part of. We hope that this book empowers you to maybe want to go be part of starting that. And and I hope that it's something you'll read alongside someone. So for some of those friends with um, you know adult children who have left the church and they don't understand why, a friend told me, you know, my mom and I are going to read this together, and I'm hoping it'll give us a way to talk about my journey with church because she has not, she could not understand why I went away from it. Or, you know, the, the opposite could be true as we talked about earlier. Maybe it's the parent who left, but we just hope it'll be a tool for discussion. Okay. Nice. Nancy, what, what do you want to add to that? Well, the only thing I would add is that um, I suspect, well, I know that people won't agree a hundred percent with some of the things that we say in the book. And we're good with that. We, we hope, like I had a, I have a very close friend from childhood who I talked to yesterday via zoom and she's been reading the book and she had questions for me and she didn't agree with some of the things that I wrote, but she, in a great spirit of gentleness and humility, she said, I want to talk more about this. And I want to read some of the books that you've been reading to dig deeper on this. And I thought that's, that's what I hope for. Not that we're all going to, you know, align someday hundred percent on these things, but that we could 
grow up enough to say, sometimes we're going to agree to disagree, but let's have the conversation. And that's, that's what we hope uh, it will do. And it will stir up among both those who are at church and those who maybe left or who have wondered if they can ever return. Boy, I love, I love that you didn't say grow enough to have the conversation, grow up enough. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes <laughs> about myself and others, you know, not yeah. I'm, I'm in there too. So, um, oh, I really have appreciated this conversation um, so much, so much good. And next Sunday, uh, thank you to InterVarsity Press for putting it out there. And thanks to both of you for spending this time with me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And always, I say to everyone else, especially this week, keep the conversation going.